Welcome to the Eclectic Gamers Podcast, episode number 12. This is Sunday, July 3rd, and I'm Tony. And I'm Dennis. And we're going to be talking to you today about pinball and video games and uh, tabletop gaming. As you might be able to tell, uh, we're back to our original setup of us being in separate places, and hopefully there's not the the me overdriving the mic issues that happen when we are in one place using one mic. Yeah, well, we have uh, great software tools to help us when we're remote for normalization that works better than me trying to do it in post. So I think that'll probably alleviate a lot of those issues. And I'm a loud person. I mean, I just am. I always have been, so. <laughs> we just have to cope. Yep. I normally try and boost my mic to to make up for it, but uh, I don't think I keep mine enough. I'm a little too soft-spoken. <clears throat> in, a, in a long history of podcasters who are too soft-spoken, you all know who you are. <laughs> so uh just we'll get ahead and get the, what we've been doing lately out of the way um i haven't been doing a whole lot i've been still reading wheel of time i've been studying for my next certificate certification exam um i did watch uh the first season of uh the man in the high castle which is an amazon prime show i enjoyed it quite a lot and I think the most impressive thing about it to me was DJ Qualls actually played a great role that he didn't feel like DJ Qualls in it. <laughs> I mean, I, I was impressed. It, it, I didn't know he had it in him. Uh, what's the show about? I'm not familiar. Oh, uh, The Man in the High Castle is it is an alternate history story that takes place in 1962, 64, something like that. And it's where the Axis won. The uh, World War II and Nazi Germany controls from the east coast of the United States up to the Rockies and Japan controls from the west coast to the Rockies. And then the Rockies is kind of a neutral zone between the two countries. Oh, okay. And it's about a resistance and there's a bunch of um, newsreels that are being found and smuggled to resistance peoples for various reasons. Okay. I'm a prime member. I should check it out. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. it. It was pretty good. I mean, there were still there were. I mean, there were a couple little things that I didn't like as much, but for the most part, it was really good. Yeah, the DJ Qualls thing though. The, he because you know he always kind of plays the exact same character, and he wasn't that guy. And the only other thing, as I finished my uh, podcast backlog, I, I'm I'm completely caught up on podcasts. I'm listening to them as they come out. I mean, wow, I know. I, it, I'm up to it's built back up to almost three hours. Just because I haven't listened since, you know, midday Friday. Right. And that's it. I mean, considering I went for the longest time where I, you know, I'd be, I'd be at 30 hours and I'd pull it down to 25 and then I'd be back at 30 and I'd pull it down to 24 and then I'd be at 29 and I'd pull it down to 23. I, to finally have caught up is just shocking. Well, it's a good, it's a good glorious feeling, I'm sure, but it'll likely slip away eventually as, as more content comes out. Are you going to add any podcasts? I've been thinking about it. I have test driven three podcasts and deleted all of them. So because I mm. didn't really like them, so we'll see. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've sometimes I've let some go for a while, and then I, you know, I've had some where I've tried them for a couple months, and then ended up dropping them for various reasons. So well, uh, there's plenty to choose from. Yeah, well, these are all. One of them I ended up not liking the format. It was a. Uh, 
a kind of a short story radio drama type thing. And while I've got some of those that I listen to that I like, I just didn't like that one. Mm-hmm. And okay. another one, it had um, the the two main people's voices just were like nails on a chalkboard for me for some reason. And the last one was supposed to be, everyone told me it was really, really funny. And after listening to three episodes and never laughing once, I'm like, okay, I apparently don't know what's funny anymore. And yeah. And stopped it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, some, yeah, there've been some things like that I've run into where people insist that it's hilarious and it's like, um, uh, not under my structure of humor, but, but, you know, I usually at least can kind of get where they may be coming from. I may pity them for it, but <laughs> that's about all I've been doing. Oh, okay. Well, uh, my, let's see, what have I been up to? Well, first thing I should note is I have a correction to issue from episode 11. So thank you to Don who pointed out via Facebook that when we were doing our E3 rundown and we were in our first section, which was sort of the Square Enix titles, I continuously and repeatedly referred to Deus Ex as Dux instead of saying Deus in Latin. So my, my apologies for that. I don't know why I did that other than and I know I've been saying it wrong for a really long time. So as penance, I have started listening to Mike Duncan's The History of Rome podcast to fully immerse myself in the Latin. That's about 175 episodes that goes through the entire existence of the rise of the Roman Empire from the legend of Romulus and Remus all the way to I think it ends around 500 CE or so. Uh, I'm only, I'm still before Julius Caesar. I'm in, I'm just after the social wars. So I'm still pretty early in the history, still in the Republic era. But anyway, so hopefully I'll pick up some Latin along the way. Uh, if not, at the very least, I've repeatedly made notes to myself to remember to say deus and not dieu as if it was French and ended in an X. But so wouldn't it be Kaisar? Isn't Kaisar the correct pronunciation of Caesar? Oh, I've never, I've never heard it that way. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe, maybe, in, maybe in, maybe in Russian. <laughs> oh gosh, I was, I, I was just all of a sudden you said that, and I started thinking, what did? Why are we talking about Kaiser rolls now? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, let's see what else. Um, I'm working on my uh, continuing education for insurance, so that sucks. But I'm not an insurance. Well, no one really cares. So, so I, I guess I should clarify. I am a, I am an insurance agent, so I always have to do uh, continuing education. I don't actually sell insurance though, so I always forget kind of about this until I get my reminders. So every other year I have to do these hours uh, and I need to maintain it for work, even though we don't really do anything with it. It's just something I need to have for, for certain uh, financial reasons. So it's like, okay, it's time to do the education in the field I don't really work in. So I'm most of the way through it. Um, it's only 12 hours worth of work. So I, I did, I have two left, but boring, but it must be done. Uh, did read a book. Uh, speaking uh, a little bit ago of Amazon Prime, this was one of those free Prime books, but this one I liked. So I actually tore right through it. It was uh, Scott Allen Morrison's uh, Terms of Use, which is sort of a thriller involving uh, social media and uh, the attempt to use it to influence elections. So it was actually it was pretty good. I enjoyed it. Uh, and then on the video game front, I uh, wrapped up Witcher 3 finally. I did that yesterday. I, I kept – I thought I was done with it Friday, but it just it, – I had two point – it actually had two point of no returns where it warned me that I was at a point of no return. And then hours later, I hit the second one. So I finally completed the uh, campaign to that. I don't know if I'll play any DLC. 
Uh, I've not started anything major up since finishing that off. I've, I started a little arcade game called LA Cops, which is kind of a real time strategic shooter where you have, you control two different cops and you do fields of fire and, and try and clear rooms that way. So this is something I got on sale, but that's pretty much it. That sounds kind of like Frozen Synapse. Is it? Uh, yes. That's what it reminded me of. Yeah. Frozen Synapse was a fun little game. And I know they've got a, they've got a new Frozen something out that's a football game. That's the use of the set by the same people and use of the same system. Mm. Well, Frozen Synapse is better than LA Cops. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> um, but it, it is what it is. I'm just actually, you hit a difficulty spike right away. I looked online today. I was like, okay, well, what do I need to do? Am I just not playing it right? And what was the suggestion? Uh, go back to level one and just grind level. Just grind it. Yeah, just grind XP and level up your cops. So, <laughs> okay. So I started to do that, but. But that will be just something to sort of tinker around with. There's going to be a big Xbox sale here coming up uh, probably on the 5th, I think. So yeah, I might the, pick up some new stuff there. But I picked up a couple things on the big Steam sale uh, that's going on, but it'll be over tomorrow. But in the summer, everybody has big sales. Yep. It's summer sale time. I actually saw a commercial. I was over visiting with my parents, and there was a commercial on the TV that was – advertising it as almost Black Friday. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. It was uh, uh, some places big sale on Friday the 1st. It's our almost Black Friday sale, almost like Black Friday sale. It's the Friday before. It's like, oh, man, no, come on. <laughs> yep, earlier every year. It's not just a feeling. It's reality. I'm hooked on a feeling. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to Don't sing anybody. anymore. We don't have the rights to that song. <laughs> Okay, so uh, introductions are out of the way, so I guess we need to hop right into the main uh, portion of our show, which will be pinball. We'll be back up to our regular order, so we'll go ahead and do pinball first. I guess that means I get to talk some yeah, more. you so get to talk some more. I do. Uh, so let's start with what we normally open with on it, and that's the n- updates for the 1980s Pinball Machine Mania Tournament. But before we go into the results of round four, I need to note that uh, we did have someone email us. Uh, his name is Adam, and he wrote in uh, to reveal that he was, in fact, the person who backed the one vote for 8-Ball Deluxe LE a couple, of, <laughs> a couple of rounds ago. And you had wanted to know if anyone was – you know, was going to back that one and for them to say anything. And he had just fallen behind. So he was not hiding from you. He has, in <laughs> fact, come forth and said, and I will quote, I happen to love the design of EBD LE cab. I love the LED displays and the overall ergonomics of the cab. I like weird things. Well, that there's nothing wrong with liking weird things. I like weird things, too. Just not that one. Well, it was uh, they I would I would give him. Uh, well, obviously, uh, I respect the fact that he came forth with his opinion. I would say the uh, the thing about the display would be what would resonate with me most, not the ergonomics to it, but I like the idea of the score being so clearly segregated away from the back glass because I do think it is easy to identify the scores that way. It's just with those early 80s games, it was in my view, always easy to identify the scores because they had they that was all that was up there. They were just the numeric, the numeric displays. Now, if you were to take something today where you had like the DMD or LCD or whatever doing the animations and stuff, but kept the scores somewhere else, maybe something really clear like an alphanumeric, I would probably like that even if it looked a little weird just because I hate 
uh, like on a stern game when you go into multi-ball and you don't know what the other player's scores are anymore and you're, you know, you're just trying to get the points you need and then let it go. So, I mean, not a big deal. It's just sort of a competitive pinball gripe. Anyway, so thank you, Adam, for being the the explainer. You, based off of the fact, as I noted, being the one vote for 8-Ball Deluxe LE against 8-Ball Deluxe non-LE means you are very, 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 very much in the minority. But thank you for playing. <laughs> yes, thank you, Adam. Let's talk about round four. All right, so round four, we did have, a, you know, at this point, upset's a little weird, uh, weird thing to say because uh, these are all pretty well-ranked titles. We did not have anything that was lower than a five seed in any of these uh, brackets, but we'll go ahead and go through them real quick. So Williams, uh, the Williams region, Pinbot, which was the five seed game, did beat Taxi, uh, which was a three seed with 57.6%. So Pinbot will be representing Williams. That's not I that's not too much of a surprise. I kind of thought that would be how it was going to go. The Pinbot and the whole series are just so popular. I mean, Taxi's fun, but Pinbot's something on its own level. I was um I was surprised. I did I I voted for Pinbot, but I did think that Taxi was going to win. I I didn't expect it to be a blowout, but I just I just assumed uh pa- I don't know why. Uh, part of it's, you know, pinball arcade has both of them. I know, but I just, there's a lot of respect for both of the games. And I just, for whatever reason, I, I think of taxi almost more iconic, maybe because pinbot somewhat overshadowed by jackpot, but you know, there ain't no jackpot in the eighties to worry about. So we have what we have. So I was pleased with the result at least. Uh, Gottlieb. All right. So Gottlieb, uh, Haunted House, which was the number one seed game, did beat TX Sector, which was the four seed. It had 63.6% of the vote, making it the largest margin, uh, of this, of round four to win by. So Haunted House will be Gottlieb's representative. I don't think that's surprising at all. No, not really. And we, I mean, obviously, given it was the one seed, that's where it sat at Pinside. It's very, very iconic. Not what I would have wanted to see. I actually thought, think that Black Hole is a better game, but Black Hole was already wiped out. Yeah, I mean, I like Black Hole a lot, but yeah, it's already long gone. So, yep. Uh, Bally region. Now, this one was interesting. Uh, Was the closest vote of round four, but Eight Ball Deluxe, the four seed, did beat Elvira and the Party Monsters, the number one seed. I'm surprised. I'm very surprised. I was. uh, It it was 51.5% of the votes that it received. So it was extremely close. Uh, And I, uh, I vote, I did vote for Elvira. I I um, did too. I, you know, I sat and thought about it. Both of these games have been on at various points. They might still be on Pennside. I'd have to check, but they've both been on my wish list of games. I would like to have in my limited collection, but I just think that the gameplay is more enjoyable on Elvira. But apparently, uh, it's much more divisive than I thought. I know there's a lot of love for 8-Ball Deluxe, and uh, I really respect it as a game. So, yeah, uh, But I am surprised. I am surprised. Yeah, I'm surprised. But yeah, no, I played, I've played. i played a fair amount of both of them, and pretty happy with it. I think I would have been happy with either one. It's just, it was a surprise to me. Yeah, no. and But I, I'm not surprised that, uh, given it won, that it won with a really, really close vote. So Yeah, a blowout would have been a shocking. This is yeah, just surprising. Right. Yeah, nothing was nothing was too much. Nothing really. Well, in election speak, I guess uh, Gottlieb was uh, was very decisive, I suppose, and and the other region is as well. So uh, Stern Sea Witch, the number one seed, uh, did beat Stern Stargazer, the number two seed. It had sixty one point three percent of the vote. So uh, not, I suppose, 
unanticipated given the seeding. I actually uh, voted for Stargazer, but obviously with the seed placement, I'm not surprised to see which one. Those games actually, I think, have really, really similar layout conce- uh, layouts conceptually. So I, you know, I, it just sort of comes down to what other features you really like. I'm not really strong on knowledge on the Sterns. I want to think the Sea Witch is a lot rarer title. So uh, maybe that helps drive some of that. I'm not I'm not entirely sure. They're both kind of what I call three banks of drop targets is sort of what you shoot for on both of them. Yeah. So it's kind of like Sea Witch gives you four flippers and and Stargazer gives you two, but Stargazer had three spinners and I think Sea Witch has one. So I don't like lots and lots of flippers. So that's just sort of me. But You don't want an eight flipper game? Gosh. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because if there are eight flippers, that thing is a fat, wide body. And we, everyone knows that wide bodies are inferior. So it's everybody just, knows. Is that, everyone, is that, it's, not, it's science. It's, it's science, science now. It's science. Uh-huh. I, mean, I, didn't, I didn't create the science. I merely reveal it to all of you. Yeah. Is the science. Yeah. Some other people do that too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. So anyway, now that we are all in agreement, the uh, let's go ahead and announce the round five matchups. We're in the semifinals. We're almost Woo-hoo! done. We only got this and then the finals after it, and then we will be done with the uh, 1980s. So uh, this means we will have a uh, Williams Penbot five seed game going up against Gottlieb's Haunted House, the one seed game. That'll be the one side of the bracket. I think that'll I th- be kind of. I think that one will be close. I think it will not be close. You don't think I so? Think, I think Pinbot is going to win with over sixty percent of the vote. Really? I do. Okay, I can see that. What do you think? What do you? What's your prediction? Who do you think is going to win? And I guess you've said close, so obviously you expect the lower percentage than what I said. But. Yeah, I, I expect I expect Pinbot to take it, but I expect Pinbot to only take it by like I don't know. Maybe fifty five percent, fifty six percent, somewhere in there. Okay, okay, we're not we're not all that far apart, actually. Yeah, just a little little window there. Okay, uh, and then on the other side, we've got uh, Bally's Eight Ball Deluxe Four Seed Game. We'll be going up against Stern's Sea Witch One Seed. Uh, I don't know. Uh, eight Ball's been doing pretty good. I think Eight Ball might take that one. I think Eight Ball will win, um, and I think it's going to get over sixty percent as well. We'll uh, just have to see. Yeah, I I mean I do I again that's it's so weird. I mean that whole other region which has been cleaned up by Stern's titles all the way through, you know, looks really really strong that it's sort of like haunted house having the largest margin. It's just uh, you know, this isn't the EM era. Gottlieb doesn't have the same respect as it did uh in the 70s and before. Yeah. And so now still haunted house very very good. I think it's the best uh or was one of the best representatives of the of the manufacturer for this era. So anyway, we'll see but yeah, no I think I don't think it'll be I don't think it'll be uh all that close this time. But hey, I've been wrong before. I can definitely be wrong again. <laughs> so, let's go ahead and we'll have a link in the show notes as normal and I'll get it out on social media and everything so people will be able to go vote and then we'll move on to the finals uh, and have those announcements at our next podcast. So, we've got one more pinball topic, so let's go ahead and transition over to that. Uh, There was a big announcement uh, regarding an upcoming machine, wasn't there? Yes, there was. Spooky dropped their Domino's Playfield and some videos and stuff when they released it at the 
pizza convention, the Domino's convention. Is there a special name for that thing? I don't remember. Oh, what I'm it sure was. there is, but we, uh, since we're not a pizza podcast, we don't really care. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I think a pizza convention could be kind of a cool thing to go visit. But it, it could, it probably could. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know anymore. I don't know what we're, I don't know what we're even doing anymore. Uh, so yes. Yeah, so now we're talking, I mean, I guess this is a good sign for pinball if we're having to bring up pizza conventions, uh, to talk about it. <laughs> but, uh, so we've, we've both seen the, the, uh, stills and we've both seen the video. Yes. So I guess, um, I mean, backglass and stuff was already known. And we know that uh, Spooky does not officially recognize uh, the Domino's pinball machine as a spooky table that they are. They were just contracted to come up with and devise it. It's not uh, part of their what you'd consider core or pure lineup. So yeah. they don't yeah. you know, it's obviously they're 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 catering to a to an entity that's basically hired them on contract to devise something for Domino's. But it is publicly available. There are no limits on the number being sold. And so it is something that I think is a, of interest to anyone who's into pinball because you don't have to be affiliated with Domino's to be able to acquire one of these machines. So I guess I would say, uh, Tony, just kind of what do you think overall? What do you think of the uh, of how it looks? And on uh, to me, what's more interesting is what do you think of from the video in terms of kind of how it shot? Well, I liked the play field art. I wasn't sure what they were going to do, and I wasn't sure how it was going to look. But honestly, I thought the play field art was pretty cool looking. Um, the uh, the shots seemed it seemed to you know it wasn't like crazy. It doesn't seem like it's a super insane lots of shots thing. But the shots that were there looked satisfying. From the video, it looked like uh, I kind of like the little quick roundabout around the Noid. Uh, that shot looked like that could be fun, depending upon how it feeds back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was kind of like it looked to me almost like a and uh, not to be mean, but uh, like a better version of what they tried to do on the Hobbit with that roundabout in the middle of the Hobbit. Yeah, yeah, it could That's be. Uh, well, the, uh, yeah, I had actually thought of that, but yeah, that looks kind of. It, it just it's it looked interesting, and the. Um, I mean, you're designing for a pizza place, so you want the pizza stuff. I mean, you know, there's an oven and there's this and that. And it, I looked at the rule sheet they put out, and it seems like there's actually, you know, it, it's deeper than I expected. I mean, it looks like there's like several mini wizard modes and like four full up wizard modes that you have to that you go that you stack through one at a time. You know, you know, complete a wizard mode, start the next wizard mode, this and that. Right. I, don't, I don't know how hard any of them are going to be to do, but it looks it looks fun. I know they're all going to be too hard for me to do, but it uh, could be pretty interesting. I, I thought it looked pretty cool. Yeah, uh, artistically, I, I I like the direction they went with. I didn't care for the uh, the pizza delivery guy by uh, by the flippers. I think he looks a little weird, but but how he's sty- stylized is fine. It's just I I just it's it's it seems a little I don't know. It, he seems a little weirdly proportioned, but, but, uh, but other than that, I, I liked, I liked the, I liked, you're, I, you're, I, you're I talking about very, people being weirdly proportioned in pinball. And that's yes, just, yes, I, I know, I know you could, and, and that, and that's a criticism some people had with uh zombie Yeti styles on ghostbusters is just like how Bill Murray's character looks and th- you know, just looks a little off cause it's the artistic style. Yeah. And that's, that's all it is for, I mean, for me, it would never be something make or break, but. 
but as I've said uh, repeatedly on past episodes, it's not I, I don't play the art, so I don't I don't care all that much. O- overall, I thought it looked really clean. That would be how I describe the art, describe the artistic style. It looks really clean. I think it's really easy to tell what sections there are. And so I think it would be real easy to know what to shoot for and such, given how it seems to be laid out in terms of the gameplay. Uh, I, I thought it looked decent. I thought uh, it looked like it had a really good flow. It looks like they were shooting for a very straightforward layout, almost what I would, would call meeting the definition of a fan layout, but maybe not quite. And I guess that depends on how one defines a fan layout. But we've got, we got the two flippers only, so that helps. All the shots are in the back of the, of the machine, so that kind of meets that portion of the definition. They don't all kind of flow around. I think there are a couple of, of scoops or something that the ball can fall into and be held in briefly. So I to me, that kind of disqualifies it from being a pure fan layout. It, but most of the shots are are back there. I think it's it's very approachable for for that. Much like how I think a lot of people will go and look at something like Medieval Madness or Attack from Mars, and that layout I think is very approachable for people. It is, yeah. I, uh, I love so, both those games. Right, because you don't have a lot of stuff uh, lower in the field that'll disrupt your flow. You don't have uh, the the alternate uh, flippers besides the two that you know are necessary for achieving certain shots, things like that. So, given all of that, I think that it was a good layout idea. Uh, and yeah, as you noted, it does seem to have a decent amount of depth. I'm going to assume code-wise, it's never going to be as deep as what we were seeing out of normally what would come out of a spooky machine or a stern or, or anything like that. But you don't need a ton of depth uh, if the game isn't going to be sort of dissected by a hardcore player. So, right. I, so because of that, I think while I know that the market here is sort of non-pinball people who are really into their Domino's franchises. I could actually see it, other than perhaps the theme itself, this could have been a really good concept for location play, where you get casuals coming up and trying to achieve certain modes. And it's, I mean... So again, the theme, because the theme is a, is a product, I don't think it's going to ever resonate like a, a, a normal consumption product, like a movie product or something where people feel a strong attachment, but there are probably a lot of Domino's fans out there who are yeah. like, Domino's, that's my main chain pizza place, just like some people are Papa John's and some people are Pizza Hut. Yeah, uh, and and the things like the Noid and stuff are very iconic. They are, they're in the, they're in the pop culture, uh, even though the, it's been so long. I was going to say how, how in the pop culture is it? I mean, there hasn't, they haven't acknowledged the Noid since what the nineties, like the early nineties. Yeah. But I think it's, it's so famous that it's just sort of, it's kind of like there are people who will quote, where's the beef who weren't even alive when those little ladies were doing the commercials. Well, that's for true. I, that, so, that is very true. Now the Noid isn't that. A Wendy's pen would have made more sense, Spooky. I'm just telling. I'm telling. You. <laughs> Think about that. You could have had the people looking for the little square patties. Oh, it's it writes itself. It writes itself. But this is what we have to work with. But the Noid is pretty iconic. So no, it's not. It's it would have been better had it come out with the with the Noid in its heyday. But the Noid's just one element on the machine. So it's it's just it's people who are into Dominoes are going to know what the Noid is. And that's enough for the, you know, for the target market, which is the the franchise owners uh, to acquire the machines. I think um, most people that, you know, won't really care. But if anyone's just like, I want to play pinball, pinball is pinball. And they'll, they'll know that just 
the dominoes. They'll know the, the you know that's the most iconic thing is the the logo and the brand name. Yeah. So it's well, not, that's why we're not going to see. It's not like this is going to be a machine you're going to see on location anywhere other than a Domino's. You know, this is the only machine I haven't heard yet that's going to be at the 403 Club, so maybe <laughs> someone's going to get it for him. I don't know, because yeah. it seems like I've heard, you know, supposedly practically everything else, even the more obscure stuff, is uh, sounds like it's going to eventually end up there, which we're real lucky to be able to, to have such access to those sort of things. But oh, yeah, this, is one where, this is one where I, ha- I truly haven't heard anyone, I don't know anyone who's getting Domino's. <laughs> but I, after seeing well, the gameplay video, I really would like to try it. Well, the, I've got a Domino's that's not a block and a half from my house. My problem is, is it's one of those carry-out only Domino's that has like no room inside. So I doubt they'll get one. Yeah, and I, I saw a thread where someone was asking about that and thought, oh, well, maybe a lot of these Domino's franchisees would actually put the machines out in their restaurants. But uh, I think the corporate individual who was arranging for the whole thing, he said there are very few stores that are laid out in a way where they would actually be allowed to put a pinball machine in because of the floor space dimensions and everything, because it's a franchise, everything's very structured in terms of how it's all going to be laid out. So I think he noted there would be less than 30 Domino's locations that would qualify or something like that. Wow. So, so no, this would be this, this idea was to get it into the homes of the owners, not, not in, not into the public view, but there, you know, people want to consume more pinball, and so they asked if it, they could buy them. And uh, Domino's corporate's like, no problem. You guys want them? We're not limiting them. You guys want them? You can have them. Well, and, he, and to me, and that's a big thing is this is going to be Spooky's first non-limited pen. America's Most Haunted, haunted only had 150 pens. Yeah, yeah, They're they didn't the start that limited had, though. They did that yeah. because it wasn't selling well. Well, yeah. But I mean, they're they've done, and as they're growing, and I think that's the nice thing about Spooky is as they're growing. I mean, they've just built their new factory area, so they can step their production up and this and that. And I think I still think Spooky's going to be one of the people to watch for a long time yet. Now they're they're I definitely have high hopes every time I hear something new coming out of Spooky. I uh, I think they have a really good uh, approach to how they're growing their business. My sense uh, would be they do not need to limit the pin counts anymore. I don't think they even needed to for Rob Zombie. Now, maybe they should if they're going to do more non-licensed stuff. But given how quickly Rob Zombie sold out, which was what, within 48 hours compared to America's Most Haunted, which was something like three years, I think they're probably going to stick with licensed themes uh, for the foreseeable future. That'd be my guess. It would be what I would do if I were them. Yeah, well, that makes sense. I mean, there's a reason most people are doing licensed themes and not just original productions anymore. Oh, sure. Yeah, Stern Stern's been doing it for a long time, and it and it makes good sense. And I think the uh, the issue with Spooky is the nice thing when they did the limitation was you knew that it was going to be there was going to be a certain degree of rarity. So if you didn't like it and you wanted to unload it, it would probably retain a certain amount of value. I don't think that they need – they'll make more money if they can sell more machines based off the licenses. Then the limitation may help the end user who gets a Rob Zombie and wants to resell it. And then they say, okay, I bought it for six. Now I'm selling it for seven because there are only 300 of them. Yeah, That doesn't help them though other than the initial sales. But if they were going to be able to sell over 300 without limiting it at 300, then they might as well sell 350. So I think – uh, I, I mean, we'll see what they want to do. They may want to just keep it limited so they can keep moving to a new game at a certain 
kind of fix speed, but you know, I don't think that they need to do the limitations now, now that they're established. Made yeah. a lot of sense. I think it was a, I think it was a great move when they were doing America's Most Haunted. I think they're at the point where they don't need that as a crutch. They can, if they want to do limited editions and keep those limited, they, you know, they could, they could go forward with that. But, um, but I don't think they need to do it for, for most of their sales. Yeah, that makes complete sense. I mean, they're definitely, they've moved themselves into the place that they can do stuff like that. Uh, Rob Zombie, I mean, it's beautiful table. Uh, America's Most Haunted was fun and very humorous. Uh, at least when I played it, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, they've definitely proven themselves as a boutique that has the ability to make good, solid machines. And I think the biggest thing is they're like, well, we're making this machine, and then this machine comes out. Where they're they're not they're not getting locked into the problems a lot of the other places are, where they're announcing machine and the machine arrives four or five years later. Right. No, they've um, they've been really, I think, really smart about it. Uh, and then I think their their customer loyalty has has borne that out. I want to think I heard uh, on another podcast actually that Charlie, who owns uh, Spooky Pinball, noted that of the 150 people who bought America's Most Haunted, 130 of them, I think he said, bought Rob Zombie. So that's I mean, a lot of loyalty. They, oh yeah, they they've won a lot of support, and I think that as long as as they keep they keep making the decisions they've been making, they're going to keep that support. So and that's I think that's good because yeah. I want to see. I want to see other pinball manufacturers and I want to just see, I want to see them actually make pinball machines, not say that they're pinball manufacturers on paper. And then in reality, it's like, no, no, they're stern. And then they're people that are claiming that they make pinball machines, but barely yeah. do it. You know, that sort of thing. Stern's a big going production has been a big going production for, for a long time. I mean, they put out, they can put out three machines a year. Not a problem. I'm not asking for, I'm not looking for another pinball company to put out three machines a year, but Something more than one every, you know, half decade would be uh, a big plus, a net plus. Yeah, it'd be kind of nice. Kind of nice. Well, that should take care of our pinball segment. So let's go ahead and move to segment number two, video games. A couple of big events are coming up that I wanted to take some note of. One of them actually just started uh, earlier today, and that would be Summer Games Done Quick 2016. For those that are not familiar with Games Done Quick... It's sort of a, a biannual uh, event they have in the winter, usually I believe in January, they do awesome games done quick. And then in the summer, usually in July, they do summer games done quick, which came about later. It originally was just an annual thing. And it's a week-long speedrunning event. So what it is is there are a bunch of video gamers. A lot of them are very active on Twitch. They will master how to speed run particular titles. A lot of the games are old. Some of the games are new. It's, it's, it's all the only consistency is that they are video games. And so a bunch of them actually fly out and all get together in one place. And then it is live streamed on Twitch 24 hours a day for the full seven days that the event runs. And they just try and beat times and show off uh, their, their skills and the meanwhile, they are doing uh, donations for charity. And the charities vary. Uh, awesome Games on Quick has its own uh, charity. And then the summer one, which we're in now, is Doctors Without Borders. So every time they do the summer one, it's been Doctors Without Borders. Or at least it's been that way for the last couple of years. Yeah, I've seen a lot of these streaming <clears throat> games, the uh, the, the speedrunners. Uh, I've seen it. They're, that's kind of interesting to watch. I watched one. I don't know if it was uh, Games Done Quick. It might have been. 
um, where it was uh, three teams and they were speed running three. Uh, each team was speed running three Final Fantasy games and they were racing each other to see who could finish all three Final Fantasy games the quickest. And that was insane. Yeah, there are a lot of things like that will crop up on Twitch as well, where uh, gamers will put together things and do like their own mini charity things, for example. So there's stuff like that. Uh, I think this Summer Games Done Quick is going to do something that, that was done back in January at Awesome Games Done Quick, where they're going to get a bunch of speedrunners who are kind of familiar with the Mario titles, and they're going to have them blind run on uh, Mario Maker levels that are being created at the event, so no one would have played oh, them before. Cool, and it was it was really it was really awesome to see during Awesome Games Done Quick, uh, where they it'd be the way they they did it there was each team had like five gamers, and when they ran the same levels, but as soon as one person died, they had to get up out of the chair and pass the controller to the next person, and then that person had to try. So you only got one life, and then you had to wait for your turn to rotate through again. And oh, so you couldn't you couldn't just hammer away at it, and you know, no, no, it was round robin. It was round robin, and so you had to watch how your other teammates were doing, uh, and you had to collectively, as a group, actually get through the level. Unless you know, you had someone who did really awesome, and and on some stages it did go quick, and on some it did not. So uh, it was, I thought, it was really fascinating. Uh, So this is running from uh, today, July third through July tenth. I I did try uh, – I'd sent out a couple feelers to try and grab an interview on this because I think it's really interesting, but uh, didn't those didn't pan out. And then I we had so many other interviews going on over the last <laughs> month, I completely forgot to follow up with anyone else about it. But, I mean, for comparison's sake, um, you know, we've done uh, – a couple episodes ago, episode 10, we talked about uh, Project Pinball Charity, for example. And I should, as an aside to our, our pinball fans, because I know there are a number that actually sit through the rest of these segments, um, Pinball Done Quick was done at Awesome Games Done Quick in January, which was – they kind of piggybacked at the same time. I don't know if they're running a, a Pinball Done Quick here with Summer Games or not. I didn't check to see that. But – uh, the thing that I wanted to point out is just how successful this event is. So, I mean, I just before coming in here to record, uh, the show had been going on. They had already noted that in the first hour of streaming, which they were doing Super Mario Sunshine was what they were speedrunning. They had already raised over $20,000 Wow! for Doctors Without Borders. If they keep pace with what was done at last year's Summer Games Done Quick and Awesome Games Done Quick, which Awesome tends to raise more money than Summer, they will break a million dollars in the week. It's kind of amazing to me how much some of these charity events that have been created basically purely based upon the internet brings up. I know like... uh, because there's like you know this, there's the Child's Play charity run by the Penny, oh, yeah. by the Penny Arcade guys. Huge money. Huge. That's just enormous. Uh, I mean, all this stuff. It's just it's amazing. This is stuff that you that without the internet and without the social media being the way it is, and without stuff like Twitch, that we'd never see anything like this. Right. And the uh, the pinhead in me really wishes, you know, I know we're in the video game segment, but the reason why I brought up Project Pinball Charity is I, you know, I really like their mission. Um, you know, they've had a lot of success. I noted on the social media earlier in the week, uh, they've sold out on their raffle tickets, which I, I looked at the name list and I know a number of uh, people that I know listen to the show did end up buying tickets. So I, I thank everyone who did uh, participate with that. But, you know, they're doing a ton of work to get enough money together to, you know, put in a pinball machine. So, you know, we're talking like $6,000 yeah. when we're, you think about the maintenance and everything like that. Uh, whereas 
for a, a major event like this, like summer games, games done quick, 10,000, 10, 20,000, that's nothing. That's, you know, that's less than an hour's worth of streaming. Uh, it's just that massive. And so I, I'd love to see uh, other groups start to look at these models. And I think Pinball Done Quick was an example of trying to harness that, uh, looking at this sort of thing and seeing, hey, can we move this sort of work into other areas? What else can lend itself to live streaming and can raise money for a good cause? So anyway, um, very exciting. I really enjoy watching Summer Games Done Quick. I'm going to watch more of it tonight, and I'm going to watch it all throughout the week because uh, I, I think I do not speed run. I am way too old to have the <laughs> reflexes to do it, and I, I've never been very – that's never been my play style, but I do enjoy watching it. So I think it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I uh, I enjoy watching them. I've seen them. I watch a lot of weird stuff as is, but, yeah, it's definitely one of those things that the future of – and how much it does to help people is just amazing to me. Yep. And they have really cool shirts too. I think the Yeti is the, uh, who they partner with on getting uh, artists will donate designs on t-shirts. And so I usually try and pick up one or two t-shirts during the events because uh, they give a portion of that to the charity and they'll tell you how much if you go to the site, but um, you can get some really cool nerdy video game style stuff that artists have done where, you know, they make them just a little bit off. So you don't have to get Nintendo mad at you. Because we know, I just, I just a, saw today the, some Kickstarter thing Nintendo went after. So you got to be careful with some of this stuff. But well, yeah, you fun. never know. I mean, it's amazing what you can do that gets you a quick uh, uh, DMCA and what can be put up, and you don't see anything special come out of it at all. I mean, it, it's just a matter of who and where and what. I mean, you post up five seconds from a. NFL game on a on your TV screen in the background while you're recording your little kid do something you're going to get pulled down. So anybody can do it if they want to. And we could have a whole rant about uh, fair use versus DMCA and Oh yeah, we probably will at some point. I just I'm, Oh yeah, I think we'll run into it because there are a lot of especially on the video game front we see a lot of stuff that tries to kind of uh take use of things that was were done in the past uh and some some yeah. some companies are very protective of of their intellectual property and and will construe such things as an assault and they'll you know they'll defend it vigorously. So, well, yeah, and and it, I can understand it from some uh, occasions because some of the things is if you don't defend your 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 rights, if you don't defend it, it's gonna they'll just kind of let it take it away. If you don't defend it once, next time it goes to court when you do try to defend, they're going to go be like, "Well, you let those people and those people use it with nothing, right?" So right. they're just going to. That's where you run into things like Blizzard having to shut down the vanilla running WoW servers because even though you basically have the company saying, "Well, we're not we're not threatened by this. This doesn't bother us," but we're legally obligated to protect the copyright. Otherwise, we won't be allowed to protect it when someone actually tries to montanize against us on it. So, yeah. Anyway, but enough of the enough of the finer things. Let's let's talk about more fun events that aren't going to run any risks of of that sort of stuff. Are you telling uh, me that talking about legalese and, and and the changes that the internet has provided on the legal ramifications of everything we do in our life isn't fun? I bet it's fun for attorneys, but I do not. <laughs> uh, and I know plenty that we can bring on and talk about. Uh, you know, I, they may not be their area of specialty, but I'm sure they have thoughts on it. But ugh, no, not really. <laughs> not not today. You know, I'm sure I'm sure we'll scrape the barrel and have to do something like that eventually on a really slow, uh, really slow week. But we've got we've got more fun things to talk about right now. All right. So, 
So let's move to another event. This one's not a charity event, but it's no less enjoyable <laughs> from a from a spectator standpoint, and that would be Evo 2016. So uh, the Evolution Championship Series, uh, Evo for short. So for people that Ooh. don't, yeah, that's right. For people that don't know, Evo is the premier fighting game tournament that happens. It's uh, it's going to be in Vegas. I think it's been there for quite a while. It's not always been the same facility. It originally had a different name, but it's been called Evo for quite a while now. And I wanted to note this because it's taking place uh, July 15th through the 17th. So when we next record, if we record on schedule, it's going to be right when it's wrapping up. So I wanted to get the announcement out now to people. Uh, you can f- watch it on Twitch, but there are a lot of uh, a lot of interesting kind of milestones or trailblazing things that are happening regarding this particular Evo. Uh, the Evo uh, popularity has been skyrocketing. Is probably not strong enough of a of a word. Uh, it's been doing very. I mean, it's it's all. It seems like it's always doing better and better and better. But this one's hit quite a number of interesting points. So uh, I think the main thing to note that's been in the news is that ESPN two is actually going to be broadcasting the top eight uh, playing Street Fighter V. So, really? Yeah, they're going to do that live. So while it's been a huge deal on Twitch where thousands and thousands of people are watching the various Evo streams, because a lot of these uh, tournaments happen simultaneously because they're multiple games. Well, uh, yeah, I know that I'm, because I, I've watched it in the past, especially when I've been over at your place because I know you guys watch it constantly. Uh, where there's you're bouncing back and forth between. Eh, I don't really feel like watching the Kill Killer Instinct stream. Let's go over and watch the Smash Brothers, and then you got to beat somebody up because it's like, why are you watching Smash Brothers? Nobody cares about Smash Brothers. Why is Smash right, Brothers right. A, a fighting game? Right, like as of July. <laughs> right. So on July fifteenth, when they're running pools, uh, there will be there will be streams showing pretty much all of these uh all of these games because they'll have to be running at the same time. So yeah, one year I actually had, uh, it's like I was watching Marvel versus Capcom on the, my TV. I had my tablet loaded up with killer instinct. And then on my phone, I was also, I was streaming blaze blue or something <laughs> just while it was all going while I was reading a book. So of course I wasn't paying attention to any of it. Once you get to the end, they, they, they space the finals out at Evo. So Street Fighter has always been the last thing. And so it's been what they what they close out on. And it tends to have, obviously, very large viewership. Uh, so ESPN seizing on that should note that, uh, uh, you know, it's not it's not it's not small taters here. So Street Fighter five has over one hundred thousand dollars in prize money for the top eight. And the, whoever wins is going to get over fifty thousand dollars. It's the largest prize pool for an open tournament in fighting game history because Evo is open. A lot of people will qualify at other tournaments or, but when it comes to Evo, you can actually show up, play in pools and, you know, fight your way into the finals if you want to. And Evo's in Vegas, isn't it? It's always yeah. in Vegas. And at least it's it's been for years now. I think I don't know if it, it started when it was under its old name in Vegas or not. I don't know enough about the history to remember if it's always, always, always been in Vegas. It's Yeah, it's in Vegas. So have you considered going and getting into pools and giving it a shot? Me no. I'm not I'm not strong enough on on any of the current on any of the current titles. Uh, you know, I actually have a better shot of doing that in pinball than I would in video games. And I don't have much of a shot in pinball. So <laughs> I kind of where that gauges. That's something where uh, Mike, our guest host from the last episode, I've often told him, you know, why don't you go and compete in Evo? Because he plays more fighting games than anyone I know at this point. But 
Yeah, I know. He's I always don't, like, know, no, 15 years ago, 15 years ago, I could have probably competed in like Soul Calibur tournaments. But That's right. And we're going to have a little bit of discussion here after we get through Evo uh, about fighting games because I this is a great time to talk about it because Evo's upon us. But uh, for people that are curious, quick, uh, here, are the, here are the main games. There are actually a number of little side tournaments that happen at Evo that aren't a part of the official roster that play a lot, especially older things. Like you can still play Street Fighter 2 at Evo. There's going to be someone running some sort of tournament with it. Things like Skullgirls, stuff like that that's a little more obscure those things tend to be available somewhere around at or around evo but the official games are street fighter 5 which it will be the largest street fighter uh excuse me it'll be the largest tournament tournament attendance in evo history for in terms of people who are going to play the final count is 5065 people have entered to compete in street fighter 5 now on a quick uh, street fighter 5 question is um did they ever drop their big patch, their big June patch? Did it ever come out? I think so. Yes. I, I mean, mean I don't, I don't own it, so I don't, I don't know because it's a PlayStation exclusive. But um, my understanding is whatever uh, had the story mode has come out, and I know a bunch of characters have come out now as well. So like Balrogs in it now, and, and yeah, because I knew that I knew they were having a big issue with getting their releases out and this. Yeah. And that. So there has been something that's come out. I'm assuming it's the big one, but I. It sounded big, but I don't. I, I haven't tracked it enough to know. So anyway, Street Fighter uh, Five uh, will be the largest Evo uh, five. That five thousand sixty-five that makes it the largest uh, tournament in Evo history, and it also is the largest single location tournament in fighting game history of any sort. Which I'm not surprised that Evo would set that. Well, in fact, yeah. I think I think the previous record was last year's Street Fighter Four. Super <laughs> Street, Super Ultra Street Fighter, whatever it's called, the final f- flavor of it. Uh, let's see, uh, Super Smash Brothers uh, for Wii U, it's commonly known as Smash 4. Uh, it's got 2,637 people competing, which makes it the largest tournament ever for Smash 4. Uh, then we've got Super Smash Brothers Melee. That's the really old one from GameCube with 2,350 people competing, which makes that the largest tournament ever for that game. And then there's the newer uh, Pokin Tournament with 1,165 people competing, making it the largest uh, competition ever for Pokemon <laughs> Tournament, largest tourney ever. Killer Instinct uh, is the smallest attended of any of these games with 540 competitors. That's still the largest tourney ever for Killer Instinct. <laughs> um, Tekken 7, which, as Mike pointed out in the uh, last episode, still does not have an... Uh, it's still just an arcade release. It's not on console yet, but it's got 543 people, which makes it one of the largest single-player tournaments in all of Tekken history, not just Tekken 7. Wow. Uh, and then the other ones, which, are, to my knowledge, are not setting particular records, is uh, Guilty Gear XRD. I don't know how to say that. Xrd Revelator. It's got 903 people competing at EVO. Ultimate Marvel vs. Capcom 3, which is one of my favorites to watch, but it's uh, very unbalanced and showing its age at this point. Uh, 770 people still are going to be competing in that. And Mortal Kombat XL has 707. So all, I mean, so all of these major games have at least, uh, 500 people in them. And, uh, so anyway, uh, people who have ESPN, if you want to watch the finals on Sunday, July 17th, live, uh, street fighter five, you can for everyone though, uh, there will be various Twitch streams that, uh, cover all of the games. Just, uh, just look for the top fighting games in the game list and you'll, you'll find the streams because they're going to be the ones with all the people in them. 
Yeah. Anyway, and, lots of fun. <clears throat> Before the hate mail rolls in, I, I don't hate Smash Brothers. I'm just not a fan of watching one-on-one Smash Brothers with all the items turned off and only certain levels allowed and stuff like that. I like the sheer insanity that is max player Street Fighters with all the insanity, or Street Fighter, uh, Smash Brothers with everything turned on. And I know that's not competitive. <laughs> well, I you know, I, I think they would, they look at it and would, I'm assuming, and would say, well, this way it's skill versus skill. But on, on the flip side, you know, uh, again, to reference our earlier segment, when we talk pinball, we understand that the ball is wild. There's a randomness that's just inherent to that game, which they, on the video game side, try and strip out. They don't want that randomness. But, you know, randomness means anything can happen and it makes it interesting. So I personally, I don't find, I think Smash 4 is much more watchable than Melee. I think Melee, they've got way too many stocks, aka lives that they get to use. And the clock is way too long. Um, I just, I just, I don't enjoy. And that game, you thought, you think uh, Marvel versus Capcom 3 is unbalanced. Holy cow. Melee is just a bunch of fox, foxes jumping around. Uh, <laughs> where you end up rooting for people to glitch glitch them with ice climbers and 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 totally cheap out knock them out because it's someone different than Fox. So I mean, there's there's not very many characters that people play because it's not supported anymore. So <clears throat> it's, it's GameCube. It's not like they could release patches. So yeah. But anyway, so speaking of Evo, let's go ahead and go into our final element on the video games, which is we thought that it would be a lot of fun to actually talk about the sort of our experiences historically with fighting games, you know, games that we spent time with and uh, and why, what we liked about them. You had uh, you'd mentioned Soul Calibur, uh, yeah. which is not a game I- I've played. I'll go ahead and say my, my Soul Calibur experience is I've really only put any significant time into Soul Calibur 4. Uh, which I did like. It was on the 360. I borrowed it. I, it was before I even had a 360s. I played someone else's. Uh, I played through the tower mode. Uh, it was the first 3D fighting game I ever really put any time in. Uh, and I didn't do much on the multiplayer side of it. But I really liked the uh, the tower stuff because you you used equipment and you'd min-max and you'd try and gear yourself up to get through the ch- whatever the specific gimmicks were of that floor. And then there'd be a new floor you need to re-gear. And so I really liked those elements, but my problem with Soul Calibur, or at least Soul Calibur 4, was I only really played a couple characters because to me, it felt, unlike some other fighting games, which we'll, we'll talk about, it felt to me like I had to memorize custom combat combos for every single character that they didn't just translate over into different, you know. They don't so at all. For me, it was like, okay, I spent all this time. I, I finally learned how to do the cool moves with Raphael. Those same controller motions didn't do things with Ivy. And so it was like, I, I can't use her. I'd have to learn. I just have to learn her all over again. Uh, unlike something like Street Fighter where, you know, Ken, Ryu, Dalsim. I, if I want to throw fireballs, throwing fireballs is the same move on all of them. But anyway, yeah. so, but you've had a lot more history with Soul Calibur than me with Soul Calibur 4. Well, yeah, I started playing Soul Calibur with the original Soul Calibur. Uh, I know there was a game before Soul Blade. I've never played Soul Blade. Uh, but I started with Soul Calibur and there was a point in time where Mike, who was on the episode, who was on the E3 episode with us, uh, would come over to my place and we would play Soul Calibur from like six o'clock at night until we passed out in the middle, you know, be like, yeah, it's 3 a.m. Let's go to bed. And you should have done. You should have done Evo back then. <laughs> and that's I, I was probably in it. Oh yeah, probably. I mean, 
but that would be all we would play. We would play Soul Calibur, and we we had we had you know everything set up, and we had to we just go for no, for hours and hours and hours, and we did this every single weekend. We'd get up the next morning and we'd play Soul Calibur. Then we'd go get lunch. Then we'd play more Soul Calibur. That, I mean, that's just, we'd burn whole weekends playing Soul Calibur and this and that. So that was my first real entrance into Soul Calibur. It wasn't my first entrance into fighting games, obviously, uh, right, being right. as, you know, Soul Calibur was, you know, late 90s. But it was my first fighting game that I got really insanely hardcore into. And it's probably the only game I would ever consider myself competitive at. We, uh, on on my birthday one year, uh, we found uh, there that there when Soul Calibur Two was in arcade, an arcade we found a Soul Calibur Two arcade cabinet in St. Louis, and at the same time there was a uh, limited showing of the Cowboy Bebop movie in St. Louis. Mm. So for my birthday, we drove to St. Louis because that was the day the showing was. We played Soul Calibur II in St. Louis for hours. Then we went to the Cowboy Bebop movie, and then we drove four hours home. And uh, <laughs> uh, I, we were sitting there, and it was Soul Calibur II. We'd never touched Soul Calibur II, but we were, I mean, we played so much Soul Calibur that we were sitting there, and we'd be, we'd, we were playing against each other. And kids would walk up, and they'd put up their quarters on the thing. Whichever one of us lost would walk away. <laughs> And then the kids who put their quarters up would be instantly vaporized by the other one of us. And then we'd go back and take <laughs> oh. our spot back. And, then, and it just kept rotating like that the whole time we were playing. I got to the point, it, it made me feel bad. It made me feel like, um, what, we used to have a fun factory at one of the malls up here. Uh-huh. And they had a, um, oh, oh, School Rumble. Was it School Rumble? That's that sounds right. Sounds it's a, familiar, it's a, based off a of Street Fighter, but it's right. I think you know, I've played it, but yeah, only casually. Yeah, and it's like students and teachers and stuff. Right. And uh, I was I was up there playing that one day, and this guy came up and he put his quarters in, and he did the whole "Here comes a new challenger" type thing, and he like instantly vaporized me. Like I didn't even know what happened. It's just like, oh, what? It's like, oh, oh, you got double perfect. Where did that come from? I didn't even see you moving. Yeah, that type of thing. <laughs> so I'm sure, I'm sure that's what it was like with those kids. But, yeah, no, I've always been a Soul I mean, I have Soul Calibur on the Dreamcast. That's what I was originally playing with, Soul Calibur on the Dreamcast. And, you know, Soul Calibur 2 and 3 and 4 and 5, I've played them all uh, because that's been my go-to fighting game. I mean, I've played the others. I've played Street Fighters, Mortal Kombat's. Uh, Blaze Blues. I really like Blaze Blues and uh, about any other thing, but nothing have I gotten into like Soul Calibur. That's that's my fighting game. Yeah, the uh, fighting game for me that I'm I most to sort of associate with, and what I always think of when I hear fighting game mentioned is Street Fighter Two, and I think it was specifically Street Fighter Two, the World Warrior Super Nintendo version. This would have been in the late '90s. That game came out in the mid '90s, but. When uh, it was time to finish up high school and went off to college, we did not, and you may recall this, because Tony and I, we uh, lived together with two other guys off campus. Uh, But when we got our apartment, we did not bother to actually get any cable TV. Who needs cable TV? We're going to be studying and this and that. That's right. We're going to be learners and we're going to be, and, and, and for people, for you youngins out there. Okay. This was, uh, this was 97. Okay. This was the first time we ever had uh, significant quantities of internet. And by significant quantities, 
What I mean is we had arranged through the college that we had a dial-up connection and we got 20 hours a month. That is what we got. So the internet back then, you did not game on the internet. You know, no. there were, you could, in fact, we would do quake. We would go to the computer labs and install quake on the computer labs and try and play quake there. But, uh, internet at home with dial up was really just download your emails. That was pretty much all it was for. And so, turn and occasionally turn in, uh, projects and stuff. Sure. Sure. And, uh, and eBay, uh, I think was around then. Yeah. I, I, I probably, I, I was using eBay in the nineties, but uh, maybe not that year, but anyway, so enough, enough about the old, uh, us old geezers and what it was like when we were just, uh, you know, finally getting uh, consumer level internet. But, uh, so we didn't have any of that, but because we didn't have any cable TV, we, we really, we weren't really prepared for anything. So we probably had a VCR. So for about a month, I believe, what was always on our TV was Street Fighter 2, because it was just like the one video game we had with us. <laughs> and so um, what I've always liked about that 2D game is I've always preferred playing on the 2D uh, uh, plane than on the 3D plane. And a lot of the character controls were similar. They're not all identical, but you have your quarter circle characters. You have your charge up characters like Guile and such. And, and then, you know, you had your rapid tap characters like E Honda and Chung Lee. You, you know, they had their little niches, but you could play pretty much any of the characters that use that style. You just had to learn there. I mean, there were differences like, you know, he has more range, but he's slower, things like that. But uh, because of that and because of that consistency, I've always been able to go and pick up a modern Street Fighter game. And the last one I put any significant time in was Street Fighter 4, the vanilla version. But, and I have competent functionality. I can pick up Ryu or Ken and I can play. I might not be able to, like on Street Fighter 5, I've not tried Street Fighter 5. I probably couldn't, you know, I wouldn't know how to activate the V trigger. I probably wouldn't remember how to pull off the super. But I can Hadouken, I can Shoiruken, I can Spinning Bird Kick, and I can sweep your leg. And that's all I should need to beat against beat someone who isn't, you know, really pro at that game uh, because I have enough competent functionality to be able to survive. Whereas if I were to pick up Soul Calibur five, I probably would just die because I wouldn't remember what to do. Yeah, no, I, I, I remember that time fondly. There was a lot because we were literally just all sitting, you know, in the chairs in the couch. And it's like, oh, I lost just pass the controller to the next guy. <laughs> yep. Yep. It was, it was what we do. That was the first uh, time I ever took a, a fighting game and, and really worked like through the story mode so I could see the different endings because we couldn't, there was no YouTube. We couldn't go to YouTube <laughs> and look up and just watch all the endings. So I had to learn how to win with Zangief and Dalsum and characters I was weak with. So that, you know, that was neat. And I, so that's, that's the one I always think of the most fondly. Uh, the only other fighting game I've put in really any notable time that I thought I might no mention here would be Killer Instinct, the, the new version, the Xbox One version. I got a free copy with the Xbox One. So I don't, I don't play it much. Uh, I think it lends itself mechanically very well to, if you're familiar with Street Fighter, I think KI is going to feel pretty familiar to you. The big difference is it's a game that stresses uh, combos as your mechanic. So you try and get characters into a combo. They have the ability to break a combo. If they fail to break the combo, though, you're able to rack up massive damage. And the ability to break the combo is uh, consists of both timing and understanding what sort of move is hitting you, a light, medium, or heavy move. And so it's almost a rock, paper, scissors sort of thing, but, but with timing added in. So um, very small roster when it came out. I think they're up to season three at this point. I only have season one, but um, I know that was a game that some people really were fond of from the 90s. I actually didn't have any experience with it back when it originally came out, but 
I've grown to respect it as I've seen it now in this current generation of fighting. Yeah, I've only seen the new KI watching uh, like Evos and the like. I haven't dealt with it other than that. And the, um, <clears throat> I mean, every everybody, I, I played Mortal Kombat back in the day on the arcade and I played all those. Uh, but nothing, nothing have I been real serious uh, like so many other games, like so many of the big players, uh, the people who get really into a game, but there's a lot of good fighting games out there. So, I mean, I definitely, it's, it's a genre I enjoy. Well, I think that's enough, uh, video game talk for today. Uh, we'll go ahead and segue over to our tabletop. Um, I had the opportunity, uh, this month. Well, I guess technically it was last month since yes, we are recording June this was last month. Uh, I was able to attend a local board game night uh, in June that I have not been able to attend in a while, and it was enjoyable. Uh, I played a lot of games that I've played countless times in the past. We played a bunch of uh, Sentinels of the Multiverse, which I always enjoy, and and some other games. But I played one new game that I thought I would drop in here because it's just it took me by surprise. <clears throat> I played uh, Castles of Mad King Ludwig, which is a tile laying game. I am not a fan of tile-laying games at all. I don't think I've ever played one. Most tile-laying games, they are, you're, you know, you're building something. You're building a, a, a town or a village or a political this or, you know, whatever their thing is. But for the most part, tile-laying games are, you have square pieces or hex pieces or rectangular pieces, whatever you want to call it, whatever that particular game has, and you're just laying them. It's like you draw them, and you lay them down, and you fit them together, and everything fits together perfectly, and everybody's things in front of them looks the exact same because they're just fitting them together, and it only matters is, oh, this is a red tile, which means whatever, and this is a green tile, and I've got more green tiles, so I get this bonus, or I've got more red tiles, so I have this bonus. And, I mean... Their mechanics can be fun, but they're not exactly what you would call visually appealing, at least not to me. Okay. So what uh, I like about uh, the Castles of Mad King Ludwig is that while it is a tiling game, there's different size tiles and different shape tiles. I mean, there's 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 hallway tiles. There are big round tiles. There are small, tiny square tiles. There's L-shaped tiles. There's uh, tiles that are big and round or big in a, a how many sides with them? Do big octagon-shaped tiles and this and that. And what you so when you lay it out, everybody's stuff looks different every time. I mean, it, no two look the same and they have, you know, different colors and different things. And you score points with how your layout is. Uh, but the fact that they look different and every castle that you build is different. You're not going to build two castles that look identical. Uh, that ups the fun a lot for me. The way, the main thing is you, st- what, what you're doing with the game is you are a builder building castles for the Mad King Ludwig. And you're trying to build the largest, most extravagant castle. And there's a, basically it rotates. It's a, you, you buy tiles and the order rotates. There's a master builder. He's the guy who lays stuff out and 
he's the last person to go and the person to his left is the first to go and you just go around all your groups as you buy tiles and then you lay them on your castle to make your castle bigger and to you know earn more points and you've got synergies between the different uh, uh, tiles that you know if this tile is touching a tile of this type it scores two extra points and this and that so it's all about synergies and this and that but it is a a lot of fun for, like I said, tile-laying game. It's the first tile-laying game I've ever played that that's actually considered purchasing. Because, as I said, I'm not a fan of most tile-laying games because they just don't appeal to me that much. But this one really did. It's very, it, it's striking. One of the gentlemen I played with, uh, the, uh, Every time he plays it, he takes pictures of the castles, and he's just got a running collection because every castle is different of what the castles were that ended up in that game uh, when he finished. Oh, okay. Yeah, that sounds that sounds very unique. I've not, as I noted, I had not played any tile lane games before. I, I see your I see your point though regarding the sort of monotony that you've faced on most of those where it's sort of a, Oh, I've just gotten this color versus that color sort of thing. But structurally it's almost like, why are we laying tiles? Why aren't we just flipping over cards to see? Yeah. And it's the same thing. I mean, I mean, I'm not saying that tile laying games are bad. There's fun. There's ones out there. I, it's not like if somebody wants to play one, I'm not like, okay, yeah, I'll play. It's just, I don't own any and they're not, they're not games that I go, Oh, Hey, let's play this. But I would do that with castles, mad King Ludwig. I'd be, yeah, let's play this game. Right. And like, and it's got an expansion, uh, that adds moats to it. So you can build moats around your castle, which restrict your castle size. The more moats you, because you build a side, you can be, you know, each side you build, but you can only build up to four to make a square. But if you make a perfect square of moats, your castle is going to be really small. So you have to be very, very exacting with what tile pieces you get and how you lay it out together. But mm. every moat section you have, you score bonus points on uh, every time you lay a tile down because of the moat section, the restrictions the moat section puts on you lets you score bonus points. Oh, I see. So yeah, it's an it's an interesting. There's a lot of ways you can build it. I mean, you can aim for certain things. You can make wings. You can go very small and try and go for straight bonus points with everything. It's it's just a very interesting and very different game i mean i'm sure there's others out there like it but this is the first one i've played that i really enjoyed well in addition to the castles of mad king Ludwig, i know you also wanted to talk a lot about uh, tabletop games that are uh accessible for kids yeah uh in the same facebook post where you uh were called out for your your Deus. lack of latin yes uh Don was also asking about uh, games for kids, and uh, I, I have two daughters. One's four and one is eight, and we play a fair variety of games. Most of the stuff we play, especially with the younger one, are the standard games that you would play, you know, uh, Candyland, Connect Four, Hungry Hungry Hippos, Battleships, stuff like that. We play a lot of those. But there's two specific games that are very aimed at kids that we play that are a bit more uh, unique. Uh, one of them is called the Enchanted Cupcake Party Game. Uh, it's a Disney, it's a Disney princess matching game. It's just like any other matching game, uh, that you would play, but there's a timer built into it. Cause as you flip tiles for your matches, there are four timer tiles. And every time you flip a timer tile, it goes onto the timer. And if all four timer tiles are completed, the game's over. Wow. And there is a reset tile that puts all the tiles back into play that have been pulled out of play. 
And what you're doing is you're making matches is what you're matching is you'll flip a card and it's, oh, it's a cupcake. It's frosting for the cupcake. Oh, it's the wrapper for the cupcake. It's the sprinkles for the cupcake. And what you're doing is uh, every person has goal cards that have the types of cupcakes on it and you're, that has a, cup, a specific cupcake on it that you're trying to build out of parts. I mean, like I said, this is a game designed for three plus year olds. It's, it, the little kids right, love right. it. It's a lot of fun. It's not like it's it, it, it's deep and a massive, but honestly, it, for a match game, it's a fair amount of fun for a match game, and the kids love it. Uh, building their cupcakes, and you know they 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 pick their cupcakes. I know most of the time they they pick their cupcakes because each pup cupcake is a a Disney princess's special cupcake. So oh. She wants to have Ariel. She wants to make Ariel's cupcake, or she wants to make you know Belle's cupcake. So that's that's how that that kind of drives. And they like it, and it's a lot of fun. So we play that one a good chunk. Um, there's also another game we play. It's called Unicorns in the Clouds, which is a racing game uh, where you just roll dice and move your move along. I mean, it's nothing fancy, but it has one interesting little uh, mechanic compared to most of the dice games where you're just trying to get to the end first, is there are certain clouds you can land on, and when you land on that cloud, you earn crystals. And the first person to get to the finish, they don't win. When you get to the finish, you earn four crystals. And the winner's actually whoever has collected the most crystals. So instead of just being a blatant run to the end, it's more of a, you don't have to be the person who's constantly rolling sixes to get ahead. Right. Okay. So those are the two that, that you, that work best with your youngest. Yeah. That's, those are the two we play the best with the youngest. I, again, I mean, she's four. There's only so much you can, there, there, it's not like we're going to be pulling out, you know, the, the really big, deep games. I'm not going to be dropping pandemic on my four year old. So <laughs> I don't know why it matters. An adult can't win. So it, oh, I, they can. They it, can. It just teach her about the inevitability of loss. It's for the best. It's for the best. <laughs> now with the eight year old, there's we uh we pl- there's a lot more games we play. Like I remember the very first uh, non just normal little game we played with her is uh, Suro. Now Suro is a game that I consider one of my favorite games of all time. Uh, it's simple. It's fast. It's beautiful. What it is is there's a you there's a board you lay out and everybody has tiles and the tiles have paths on them and you lay the tile down and your token you lay it down directly in front of your token because everybody's got a token uh, and your token follows the path you lay in front of it and it goes all the way to the end of that path at the which is at the edge of the tile you just laid down. And then you draw a new tile, and the next person goes, and he goes, and goes. And what you're doing is you're laying tiles, and you're following the paths. You're creating the paths. If a path goes off the side of the board, your token is gone, and you lose. If the path meets up so two people's tokens go to get, run into each other, both people are gone. So it's, it's purely a survival game. It's about laying out a path and following that path without hitting anybody or going off the edge. Kind of reminds me of that um, the the Tron race car thing where you build the little walls. It is kind of like that because in this, when you're building it, and as you're like laying, like if I lay it, if I lay a token, if I'm like on one spot and you're to a caddy corner from me, and I lay uh, uh, one of the square tiles, and it connects your path to somewhere and my path to somewhere, we both move. So I can force you off the map. 
Mm. Or I can force you to loop back so you're going at somebody else. Tricky. It's really a super simple game, and it's pretty quick to play, but it is a lot of fun. And the actual board and everything, my board is beautiful. I mean, it is amazingly laid out. And uh, some of the the people who run the board game night that I attend, uh, they actually sat down and they created a life-size Suro. And what they'll do is on special occasions like tabletop night and this and that, they will mark out a board on the floor uh, at the venue and people will go and draw giant life-size tiles and put them in place and you walk them. You are your token as you move. So you follow your path and everybody just plays like that. And it can support a lot of players. It supports eight players, I think. Eight or oh, more. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not just a couple or four players. It'll, it'll support like eight players. Uh, maybe more. I don't think I've ever played more than eight. I know I've played six, but it's just, yeah, it's a fast, you, you can knock out a game in 15 minutes, even with a younger kid. I mean, with my oldest, we started playing Suro with her when she was, I don't know, six, maybe five or six. We played Suro with her for the first time. So, because it's a pretty simple game. Um, there's another game that, uh, we play and this one's a little bit harder on on kids until as until they get older but honestly this game's kind of hard for for adults it's called a timeline and what timeline is is timeline is it's a series of different card games they've got different editions like there's edition or editions they've got different editions like inventions and historical uh, happenings or stuff like that and what you're doing is you actually uh Everybody draws a hand of cards, and the cards on the front have a picture and a, and something that describes it. It's you know like the uh, domestication of sheep, or uh, the first checkbook was created, or the first steam engine was created, or the 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 uh, Civil War have this some battle in the Civil War happened. Oh, I think maybe I have played this one. Yes, we have. I think, I think we have played this one once. And what you do is everybody takes turns and you lay down your card or like, if it's my turn, I would lay down my card in a spot, I think in a line where it would fit. So if I'm the first player, I just put it wherever I want, but then I flip my card over and I'll be like, you know, Oh, 1885 was when this event happened. Okay. And the next person who plays a card, they take their thing and they have to decide, was it before or after 1885? Well, this one, this is the domestication of sheep. So obviously it was before 1885. So they put it down and they flip it. You know, it's like whatever thousand BC. So they move it over. They move it to the left of that. And then the next player lays down a card. Oh, this was the first landing on the moon. Well, obviously that was after 1885. So it goes to the right of 1885. You flip it over and, and that's what you do is you build the timeline. And every time you successfully put your card in the right place in the timeline, that card is out of your hand. But if you put it in the wrong place, you have to draw a new card. And that card goes is put into the correct place, but you have to draw a new card. And the goal is to get rid of all the cards in your hand. So it's a it can especially towards the end, it can get to be pretty difficult. But it's kind of a fun game and it's very educational because it because of how it lets you set things up and how it lets right. you I mean it kind of teaches you when things happen. And there's always like I said it to the end, it can get hard even as an adult. And some of the things surprise me. Like it always shocks me. It's like, oh, when did 
I don't remember all of them. I know there, there's been a couple where it's like, oh, this happened in like the late 1800s, so I'll put it around here. And then you flip the card over, and it's like 1650, and it's like, okay. Apparently, I was wrong. <laughs> so, I mean, but it can be a lot of fun, uh, and it can be educational, but like I said, it can be hard. Uh, as kids get older, it'll get to be a lot easier. Um uh, but yeah, we played that once. I've played it a couple times. The nice thing is you can take and you can mix all the editions together, so you can get some really weird stuff. Because like they've got editions that talk about movies, so it's like you know when did Gone? Oh, this is Gone with Gone with the Wind was released, okay? Or or Ghostbusters was released, or so you can get ones that are stuff that'll be easier for kids to understand than like you know uh, when were cattle domesticated and when were. When when was the first black powder uh, used and stuff like yes, that? Yes, I uh, I enjoy going to children and asking them when Gone with the Wind came out. I find yeah. they know they know it much better oh, than sheep. Yeah, than, definitely than sheep domestication. So, <laughs> and the last game is and the game that I know we've played because we've played a yes. fairly large amount of it. And that's a Ticket to Ride. Yep, yep, good pick. Yep, Ticket to Ride, easy game, a lot of fun. What you're doing is you're collecting cards that are different types of train cars. And in your hand, you've got uh, train routes uh, on cards that you're trying to complete. So, like, you know, Kansas City to St. Louis is, is like, requires three white uh, cars or three blue cars. I, I don't know if that's right. I'm just making up off the top of my head. So it's, you collect in your hand three blue cars, and then you'll turn them in. Uh, on your turn, you'll turn in those three blue cars and you grab three and then you take three trains and did it and that's your route. And what you're doing is you're trying to complete routes. So you'll have a route that's like New York to L.A. So you've got to complete routes connecting from city to city to city all the way from New York City to L.A. And then you'll have shorter routes. You'll have like, you know, Santa Fe to Denver or something like that. But all the route cards you have in your hand are worth points. And uh, if you complete them, you get that many victory points at the end of the game. But if you have any in your hand that you don't complete, you get negative that many points, victory points at the end of the game. So uh, it's a fun game. It's easy to look at. It's easy to play. And I find kids pick up on it really easily. Uh, they need some help, obviously, of course. But even with older kids and with adults, it's fun to play. So that's definitely, that's probably my biggest recommendation. That and Sorrow are probably my two biggest recommendations for kids. Yeah. The, uh, I like Ticket to Ride because it, uh, it offers a lot. There's a lot of strategic thought that can go behind it, even though it's one of those, uh, simple to ma understand, but challenging to master. Even I don't even know, given the elements of it, saying one would ma be able to master it is probably a, a bit of a misnomer. But uh, because the challenge of all the other players, you don't know what routes they have in their hand. Uh, obviously if you've got a really long route that you want to try and go for, you're having to consider whether or not they are going to be trying to complete smaller routes that will interfere with your path. So you've got that. And so it's not just a question of trying to go for your own routes, but also to control the options that your rivals have available to them. So those sort of elements to it mean it's not all just random. It's not just, oh, well, I, you know, I drew enough whites. So I guess I'll complete this route that white can connect to. Yeah, um, yeah, you, you're actually. I mean, if you can connect it, if it's not doing something, it doesn't do you any good. So, right. So it's those sort of things because you don't have a card to get the victory points for it. But 
those sort of those sort of aspects to it mean that it actually requires thought. So, which is like the the, the requirement for an adult to be able to enjoy a tabletop game is, yeah. has to require some level of strategic or tactical thought, depending on the game. And this one has it. So, I think it, yeah. it just it's not so complicated that a, a child wouldn't be able. It's like being able to teach a kid uh, checkers. Uh, and then being able to teach a kid chess, you know, children can understand chess. There are only a certain number of moves. Once they're a- they're old enough to be able to understand how each piece moves, they might not be grand wizards, but they'll actually be able to play and they can compete against adults. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a, that, that's absolutely my analogy. True. Yeah, no, it's definitely a, I mean, and it might sometimes end up being one of those things where the fastest way to get from Miami to L.A. is through Toronto. But uh, <laughs> yeah. If that's what it takes to get around everybody blocking you and stealing your little places and blocking you out. Mm-hmm. It's just sometimes Canada's our only help. Yeah. And well, sometimes you blame Canada. That's right. Well, we try, but we try not to because here at Eclectic Gamers Podcast, <laughs> we, are, we are loving and accepting of all. And if you all love and accept the Eclectic Gamers Podcast, please like and uh, and give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. We're at both of those places uh, and a number of other uh, podcast playing sites. But those uh, search algorithms, especially iTunes, I know their search algorithm is dependent on the number of reviews. I thought maybe we should start maybe you know, reading the reviews on air or something to kind of, uh, you know, say thank you to those that, that go and do that sort of thing, because we really could use more, more of those so that we pop up higher on the search algorithm so that we, know yeah, they're, we, they're really important with it to getting more people to see us and, and, and listen to us. Yeah. Cause we're, we always trying to grow the podcast. We don't make any money at it, but we do like the idea at least to know that people are actually listening to it so that we're not wasting our time totally uh, going <laughs> off onto the, on the uh, you know, rail construction involving the great Northern in order to circumvent the caustic Midwestern rivalries of the robber barons. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so beyond that, if you want to reach the show, you can go uh, find us on facebook.com slash eclectic gamers podcast, probably where I'd say we're most active. You can also email the show eclectic gamers podcast at gmail.com. And we're also on Twitter as eclectic underscore gamers. And I just recently uh, set us up on Instagram also as eclectic underscore gamers. And they're both getting updated a little bit more often. I just posted a picture uh, to both places of me actually recording this podcast a little while ago. Oh, how fancy. I know. All right. Well, um, I do think we'll be probably be back on the in the next couple of weeks. Don't know exactly what we'll be hitting on other than the uh, final round for the Pinball Machine Mania tournament because CantCon is probably going to be the podcast after that. Would be my thought. Yeah, cause, yeah, because the ne- the next uh, podcast will take place the week uh, before CantCon, so the CantCon podcast will be the one after. Uh, we might do a little talk next time about what we're planning, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll we'll see we'll see what uh, what shakes out. We've got some other we got some other stuff brewing. We just never know when it'll be uh, f- finished baking in the oven, so we can actually pull it out and put it on air. But anyway, uh, until next time, I'm Dennis, and I'll say so long. I'm Tony, and I told you this one would be shorter than the last one, and you kept your word. Good job. I did. Awesome. <laughs>